0: Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather and to seek your face, to seek your heart. And Father, to as we see your heart, as we recognize the the beauty, the wonder, the the power that is in you and that you promise to us, we can be transformed, made into the image of your son. And Father, you show us our heart where we need to grow, where we need to surrender. We're asking, Lord, that this morning, as always, that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit would speak to us, your church, that you would grant us an understanding of your Word and of your heart as we look this morning um, at the tale of two Sauls, Father, to see the similarities, to see how the events are so close, and then we can mirror those events to things in our own lives. So we're asking, truly, that you would knit our hearts to yours through this message, that you would grant us an understanding of the fullness of your grace, and the offerings, Lord, the things you want to give to us, the the, the giftings, Lord, of the Spirit. So with all these things, we just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, saints, if you would, please open your, your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. As you find yourself there, please scroll on down to verse 23, our text for this morning is verse 23. We're also going to include verse 24, but this is what we're looking at. If you want a title for this message, you can simply call it the tale of two Saul's. Um, Another way you could refer to it is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. So within the context here, as you understand that Saul is desiring to kill David. And within this chapter of 19, initially he There in in verse 1, he spoke to Jonathan, his son, and he spoke to all his servants that they should kill David. This is what he wants to do. He wants to just take out David. He's afraid of him. He knows that God has given him the kingdom, and he doesn't want that to happen. And so in the fear of Saul losing his own kingdom, he's pushing the point of, I want David dead. If David dies, Jonathan, you inherit this kingdom. It all becomes yours. And after that, then that fails because Jonathan goes and intercedes for him. And we looked at that on Wednesday, a powerful picture of just the character of Jonathan. But then we looked at Saul additionally wanting to kill David because he said, hey, send servants to his home. And this is what we want. And so we see that in verse um, 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him. That didn't work either. His wife, Michal, said, I'm going to save you, David. You got to get out of here. And so we see her character as we looked at on Wednesday. And lastly, as David flees, he finds himself over there in, in a place called uh, um, Ramah. But it, 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 it's Naboth Ramah. It's the, the dwelling place of Samuel. And so what Saul does is he sends a group of warriors to kill David. And then eventually, as he sends the first group of warriors to kill David, those warriors turn into worshipers. Interestingly, they come upon where Samuel is, and Samuel is there with the prophets, and there's this worship thing going on and this prophesying going on. And we see that the thing that transpires is those warriors become worshipers. They begin to prophesy. So Saul is frustrated. He sends another group of warriors after David to kill him. As they come upon the, the prophets and Samuel that are prophesying, the other group of warriors that are the they begin to prophesy as well. Now Samuel's frustrated and he's like, "Oh my goodness, the two groups that I sent, let's send a third group of warriors there. They also begin to prophesy. So basically, everyone that he's sending after David begins to prophesy. Now, Saul simply wants David dead. And uniquely what happens is this, that as he he comes upon this this scene, he says, listen, if you want something done right, apparently you got to do it yourself. And so what he does is this, he himself goes and he pursues David and he's going to now kill David himself. Uniquely, what we see is this. In verse 23, this is where the text begins. It says here, so he went there to Naoth in Ramah. And then the Spirit of God fell upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and that night. And therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets. It's interesting in looking at this Event that happened in the life of King Saul. On Monday, as we do the study in the upper room, I'm going through the book of Acts, and we recently looked at another Saul. And as we looked at that Saul, we see that there's a lot of similarities that are happening. That what we initially see here in the, the life of Saul the king is first a desperation. If you want an outline for today, first it's the desperation of Saul. And then the the next thing is this, after the desperation of so desperately wanting David killed, and of course in Acts, Saul of Tarsus, desperately wanting those who are of the way, the church persecuted and killed, then we see amazingly there's an alteration. So initially we see the desperation, then we see the alteration, and the alteration is this, they have a plan, and God changes that plan. Here we see that Saul wants David dead, the king, and God changes his plan. He changes his heart. He changes what's going to happen. And so we see that that God says, listen, Saul, you have to understand, David's not going to die, but I'm going to reveal some things about you. I'm going to reveal some things about me, and I'm going to reveal some things about the life you can have in me if you so choose. It's never too late to turn. It's never too late to repent. And so we're going to see this transforming work of the Holy Spirit because the plan that he has, God simply does this alteration of it, changes it completely to the point where Dave is not going to die. He's going to live. And there was Saul of Tarsus, the church is not going to be persecuted. They're not going to die. They're going to live. But you are going to change. You're going to be the one that changes. And so not I'm going to come in and control, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to be humbled. And after we see the, the, the alteration, then we're going to see the transformation. And the transformation that comes through the Spirit of God. And I want you to understand that this transformation comes onto a king that has murder in his heart. Murder in his mind. And all he wants is, I need David dead. If if they can't do it, I'll do it myself. And the same thing with Saul of Tarsus there in Acts chapter 9. He wanted the, the church persecuted. And and so we see here there was a transformation and the transformation also comes as Ananias will tell him. And we'll look at this in a little bit where he says, Brother Saul, I want you to receive your sight. There's going to be a transforming work in you of the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then from that point, Saul no longer persecutes the way. But what Saul does is this. He proclaims boldly Jesus Christ and salvation through him. And uniquely, I had not seen this before. It just God takes us into certain things. I happen to be teaching of Saul there on Monday nights. I happen to be teaching Saul here. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at it like, oh my goodness, Lord, these two things are are so knit together. The desperation of I'm going to do what I'm going to do, the alteration, God says, I'm going to radically change your plans and the transformation where we come into God's heart. And it was one thing for me to be, blown away by the two Saul's. And then what God did was this. He took my heart. And for this message, I'm simply going to call it Saul. Because there's this thing in my own heart. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I've got to figure out how to get this done. And I'm going to to do this. And I'm not really going to seek you. And what God does this, he does this major alteration. We have a desperation of our plan. I need the plan to work like this. God, you've got to arrange this, and you've got to arrange that, and you've got to fix this, and you've got to fix that. And it's got to be the way that me, in my finite mind, knows that it needs to happen. Because I see through a glass darkly, and of course, I know how it should be. And I'm not looking for the omniscient God who knows all things, who knows the end from the beginning, saying, God, you know what's best. You know what's best for me to draw closer to you. You know what's best in the situation. You know it's going to glorify go you. you. Do your thing. But in my desperation, sometimes I don't look to the Lord. I don't look to His heart. I don't look to God. You, you have to do this work. And so I see amazingly what begins to happen is this: that God alters my plans. He said, "It's not going to be the way you think." Why? Your ways are not my ways. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. And, and lo, you're, you're just you you're not there. You don't have the, the knowledge of the end from the beginning. You don't know what needs to take place. And so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to do what I know is best. And you're not going to stop me. So in your plan, in the desperation of you thinking that you know what you need and, and has to accomplish the way that, that you see it in the steps that you think, I'm going to radically alter it. But in the, in the midst of altering it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to transform you. I am going to transform your thinking. I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to transform everything about you. And within this transformation, what's going to happen is this. You are going to be knit to me. You're going to be knit to my heart. You're going to be knit to my will. You're going to be knit to my purpose. And then once the thing comes through, I always, oh, my goodness, Lord, thank you for not allowing my limited understanding and my selfish prayer to be answered. Thank you that, that you changed it early on or the devastation that it would have caused to me and others would have been remarkable. So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to simply look at the desperation of Saul, the alteration of Saul, and the transformation of Saul. These are the things that that we're going to see. Now, what I want to do is this. As you understand that Saul here is is wanting to kill David. He, He is wanted initially, as he told Jonathan and the messengers, I want David dead. As he sent messengers to David's house, I want him dead. And then he sent warriors after group of warriors after group of warriors, then himself to Samuel's house to kill David. This is where he's at. Now, uniquely, and I, I love the fact that within this portion of scripture, that we do see, and I want you to look at verse 23 one more time. So he, that is Saul, went there to Naoth in Ramah. Naoth simply means the dwelling place, of the residence. So they go to Saul's place in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naath and Ramah. As he gets close, the Spirit of God comes upon this king. And I want you to understand, the Spirit of God comes upon this king that has murder in his heart. That's amazing to me. Just like there in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God came upon Saul of Tarsus, who had murder, behemoth murder in his heart. But guess what? once he went in with all authority to Damascus i'm going to i'm going to rule and reign and i'm going to i'm going to conquer these people who are of the way eventually what he was blinded and here was a man that was going to come in and conquer and he was having to be led by the hand into Damascus cuz he couldn't see so much for the entrance he thought it was going to be and then while he was there he just was was laying there he neither ate nor nor, nor drank for 3 days and he was there fasting and and praying So God says, Ananias, you need to go to him. You need to let him know, I'm going to use him. I'm going to transform him. And and I think what's interesting is this, that we we always think that the spirit of God, how can God send his spirit to affect those who are non-believers? Wow, this is going to be a lesson for us because he does it the same way, not the same way, because as believers, we have the spirit in us. But as a non-believer, how do you think you actually come to yearn for the Lord? How do you think you actually come to desire the work of Christ? The spirit whispers, the spirit is yearning. the spirit is there with us. The spirit's everywhere he's God, and what what happens is this is that we're going to see this moving of the work of the Holy Spirit upon Saul. A couple of things that I want you to do back up a little bit here in in first Samuel, shift over to chapter ten, and I want to read to you just those couple of verses, verses nine and ten when Samuel is first told by God, I want you to anoint this man, Saul, he's going to be the king. He's the king the people want. And so it makes this declaration in 1 Samuel 10 verses 9 and 10. So it was when he, that is, when he turned back, when he turned his back to go from Samuel. So Saul turns his back, he's going to leave Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And those signs came to pass that day. And when, they, and when they came there into the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. I, I love the fact that what we see is this. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul, and he prophesies. But what happens is the, the, the Spirit is about to equip him for the calling that the Lord has given to him as a king. And so everything that he needs to do and to know as the king, God has already given him his spirit. All he has to do is what? Humble himself and yield. That's it. If you humble yourself and yield yourself, I'm, I've given you everything you need to be a king, but you've got to give me your heart. You've got to surrender. And so with this, I find it very unique that the very first time the spirit comes upon him is that God equips him to simply do the calling that the Lord has given to him. And then, in chapter 11, the next one over. In chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, verse 6, we also see that the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news and his anger was greatly aroused. So keep in mind that what was happening was this, that the Nahash of the Ammonites, he came and he encamps against the, the, the men of, of Jabesh Gilead. And, and so as he comes against the men, he says, listen, you guys, you got to yield yourself to me. Give me the, the, the stuff that you have. And then what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to just poke out all your right eyes. That's what I'm going to do. And then I'll let you live. And then I'll wipe you guys out. So, so you, you come, you surrender, you give me what I want. And then I'm going to poke out your eyes anyways. And, and so they say, well, give us a couple days to think about this. And then, then what can it come to you? Well, they 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 go to the 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 elders of Israel. Eventually, the word comes to Saul the king. And in verse six of of chapter eleven, the spirit of God comes upon him when he hears the news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So all of a sudden, now we see that that God begins to give him a passion for the people of Israel. And as the king, he's going to go out, and of course, they're going to they're going to wipe out. Um, um, So that's a work that God is going to do. But I want you to realize that before he goes and does the work, the Spirit of God now comes upon Samuel that second time. The first is equipping into the calling. The second is for equipping to that particular ministry. So I want you to understand that sometimes the Spirit of God equips you for your walk in its entirety. But sometimes the Spirit of God will equip you just for a task. And this is important to note. So that's why I gave you both references. Sometimes it's for the calling that God gives to you to equip you. And other times it's simply for a task where you say, well, can I do this again? God said, I haven't called you to do that again. I'm not going to empower you. The spirit isn't for that. So you you trust God that he gives the spirit for what he needs to give. And then he's only going to give it to the amount that he chooses to for the degree of time. The next time we see the spirit of God being given is there in chapter 16. And this is now unique because Saul has sinned. Saul has turned his heart from God. He hasn't obeyed God. And as he's turned his heart and as he hasn't obeyed, what happens is this. God has told Samuel, listen, tell Saul that I have taken the kingdom from him. It's no longer his, and I've given it to another, one who's worthy, one who's a man after my own heart, one who's not going to fight against me. And through this in chapter 16, I only want to read verses 13 and 14 to you so you can understand another aspect of what's happening with Saul and the spirit is this. When Samuel goes and holds the feast and he gets the sons of Jesse, eventually he does get David. And it says this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brother's. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now, the Spirit of God comes upon David to equip David for the calling which God has given him. And in verse 14, it says this, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, God takes his Holy Spirit, and he allows to say, if you don't want my spirit, the enemy wants to give you his spirit. So he, I'm going to allow this troubling spirit to come. And so God does. And his sovereignty he says, you don't want my spirit? Then you're going to have another spirit. And so this distressing spirit comes. And of course, it, it begins to just plague Saul with his insecurities. It begins to plague Saul with all of his, his anger issues. It begins to, to plague Saul and his pride. And all these things that are happening. And so Saul himself becomes just this, this kind of crazed man. That eventually he simply calls for David. And as he calls for David, then so amazingly as David plays, as David worships, then so wonderfully what happens is this. Saul begins to be comforted. But eventually we see that there comes a point where no longer is he comforted. The the, the That troubling spirit just begins to affect him. So what we see is this. In our text here in chapter 19, this is the third time now, the third time that the Spirit has been given to Saul. And and absolutely amazing, what begins to transpire here is that when God gives to Saul the Spirit, it's to transform him. Now, we've talked about how there's a transformation that comes to your calling, which is a long-term transformation. And what happens is this. Saul rejected that calling. He rejected it. He wasn't going to listen to say, God, this is your kingdom. He said, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. And it's your fault if something goes wrong, Lord. It's the people's fault if something goes wrong, Lord. It's never mine. And as we see this, what begins to transpire is this. But then God also gave him what? For a specific purpose. And this is what's happening here. God is going to allow his spirit to touch Saul simply for a specific purpose. And as as we see this, it's just one of those areas where I want you to put a marker in your Bible somewhere in Acts chapter 9. Just find find Acts, find 9, get a marker there, because we're going to be looking at these tales of two Sauls. Initially, we have this one King Saul who wants to kill David, and that's simply his heart. But we also see in Acts chapter 9, In the very first verse, it makes this statement, Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Verse 2, he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so we understand that here Saul has talked about, I've been breathing threats and murders against here and, and so I want to bring this great persecution upon the, the thing called the way. I want to bring this persecution upon the church. And so that's where he was. We begin to see that this is, is Saul and, and he's not functioning in his right mind to recognize, well, wow, if this is of you, God, it's, it's, it's going to happen and I don't want to fight against you. But what happens is this, Jesus is going to approach Saul. And as he, as he comes to this area, absolutely amazing, it says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is important. This is where the alteration comes in. We see here his desperation is, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do in my mind what I think is right. I want to do in my heart what I think is right. And if my mind and if my heart are in opposition to your word, guess what I'm going to follow? Not your word. I'm going to follow my mind. I'm going to follow my heart because I'm that desperate to do what I want to do. But as Saul is coming in, what the Lord says is this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I'm going to keep in mind, he wasn't persecuting the Lord, he was persecuting the church. But what Jesus was saying, listen, you you, you don't understand, you're fighting against me. You're, the, the, the church is mine, you're fighting against me. And do you understand what God is doing here through giving King Saul the spirit? He's telling King Saul, listen, you're fighting against me. David is mine. And what happens is this, that God, through this alteration process, he begins to radically just blow Saul's mind. Blow Saul's because what they thought was true, what they thought was right, now becomes what? Radically different. It's not what they thought. It's not what they were doing. And so I think what's important within this passage is this, that when the Spirit comes upon Saul, he begins to prophesy. And I think, note this, be ready. Be ready because so often we as Christians, we think what we're doing is right. We think I'm pursuing this and it's right. I'm pursuing that and it's right. Whether it comes to relationships or behaviors or, or you know things that we focus on, we think it, it's right. And, and, and if, if we do it, it becomes right. Now, now, keep in mind, we've talked about this before, that there are certain things that are idols. And what does God call idol? An idol is this. An idol is something that takes within your heart, within your mind, within your time, a, a disproportionate amount of you. It becomes greater than what it's supposed to be. In other words, let's put it this way. You can eat, and it's necessary to eat, and it's right to eat. But what happens is this. There are some times in some people where food becomes... Oh, I need the comfort here. I need the comfort here. And it doesn't become simply uh, sustaining, but it becomes comfort. And it becomes a a greater thing than what it's supposed to be. There are other things that we do that are recreational. You know, that we can go fishing. We can go hunting. We can go golfing. We can go bowling. We can do all these things. and, and, And in a point of recreation, it's good. But sometimes what happens is it takes a disproportionate, it takes more time and more energy than what God has called us to. But because I've already had this mindset, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and this is my plan, and I'm going to just go forward in it, rather than asking God, God, what's your heart? What do you want? What time do you want me to dedicate to this? What time do you want to dedicate to you? And I'm not going to do it because in my mind I think it's right. I'm not going to do it because I've always done it, but I'm going to seek you. I don't want this to become this, this idol. I don't want this become greater than what it is. I want you to put it in my life proportionately. And when that happens, guess what? It's right. But sometimes God does what? He does an alteration. He changes what we think. He changes how we think it should be. And he says, no, you're not going to do this. I'm, I'm going I'm to stop this. I'm going I'm to end this. And so radically, I love how God works, that we can seek him. And he can do this, but there are times where something becomes more than what it should. And when we have this, keep in mind, we already know what his ways aren't our ways, his thoughts aren't our ways, and his plans aren't our plans. And as we belong to God, what happens is this. What do you think we should do as a, as a steward of everything that he's given? God, it's yours. I'm yours. What do you want from my life? What do you want from my, my energies? What do you want for today? What, what are you calling me to do? I know what I want. But what do you want? And when you do what you do, what are you going to reveal in my heart? What are you going to reveal about who I am and and how I think and how I'm working and how I surrender? And I think it's so important that that what's going to happen is that, that God can simply, if he chooses to declare his will, this is my will for your life. And then you can choose to obey it or not. But there are other times, and this is a case here with Saul, the king, and also Saul of Tarsus, that What God is going to do is this. He's going to sovereignly accomplish his will. In other words, you have no choice in the matter. You are going to do what I want you to do. And you, you can try to do something else, but it's not going to happen. Think about this. Jonah. Yeah, isn't that right? I mean, here's Jonah. I need you to go to Nineveh, Jonah. I need you to go to Nineveh because there is a city that I want, that I love, and I want them to repent, and I want them in heaven. And, and, and amazingly, Jonah says, you don't want that city. <laughs> like God, you can't love them because I don't love them. You can't want to save them because I don't want to save them. Do you know how they are? Do you know how evil they are? Do you know they don't, they don't look to you? They don't seek you? And guess what? The whole time that he's telling God, these people aren't looking, they don't listen to you. What is Jonah doing? <laughs> he's not listening to God either. He's running the other way. He's not running to Nineveh, he's running away. And as he seeks to flee, what does God do? He says, "Don't don't worry, Jonah. You can run anywhere you want, but sovereignly, I'm going to be wherever you are, even if you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean." And Jonah thinks, "You know what? <laughs> go ahead, Lord. Create a wave, create a storm, because I'm still not going to go there." And so he tells the people, "He does 'Doesn't it's all my fault? I know, I know the the water, I know the waves, I know everything.' He says, this is if you want the, the the storm to stop. Here's what you do: take me, just throw me overboard. We've thrown everything else out. Just throw me.'" You throw me, I guarantee you the storm will stop. And here's Jonah. He's thinking, you know what? God, I'm still not going to go to Nineveh. Yeah. I'm going to go to the bottom of the ocean. And God said, oh, yeah, you are, Jonah. But, but, but you're not going to die in the bottom of the ocean. And God had created a great fish. And when they threw Jonah overboard, just like Jonah, the prophet, he was right. The storm stopped. And then what happened? The fish came and gulped them. And went and as the, the the book of Jonah declares, the fish kind of went to the bottom of the sea and just laid there for a while. Now a couple hours go by and Jonah's like, this is this is lousy. I don't like this. It's hot, it's stinky, it's it's cramped. I don't I don't care for this fish thing. Keep in mind that it's not like you see in in, in the shows where you got ships and boats and Jonah's walking around. He's stuck inside this fish belly, and all of a sudden, days hours turn into days. At the end of three days, he simply says this, Lord, apparently I'm not gonna die here. You're not going to let me die. All right, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh if that's what you want. And, and amazing, this is what happens. As soon as he prays that prayer, he doesn't realize that the fish that was there on the bottom of the ocean had been moving, just slowly moving back and back and forth and just moving forward. And, and by the time he got done praying, the fish says, this is good. And what he didn't realize is that he went from the middle of the ocean to the shore, and the fish vomits him up on dry land. And guess where he goes from there? <laughs> Well, sovereignly, he goes to Nineveh. Sovereignly, he goes and he preaches to these people that, that he didn't like, but God loved. Sovereignly, he preached to a people. He said, these people should die. I hate these people. Do you understand? Jonah has the heart of what? Of a Saul. And a Saul, King Saul had the heart of a Saul. A Saul of Tarsus has the heart of Saul. Jonah has a, I have the heart of Saul. I don't want these people to be saved. I don't want these people to come to know you. And, 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 I, and, and, and I have this, this, this anger against them. God said, I'm going to radically change you. I'm, I'm going to alter these things in your life. Where, where you think in the negative sense, and I'm going to teach you one thing through my spirit. I'm going to teach you peace. I'm going to teach you love. I'm going to teach you grace. I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to give you my life. And as, as, as he does this, I think it's so important that, that, that be careful because There are times that God is going to alter or bring an alteration to to the situation and the circumstances, and it's going to be unexpected. And, and, you know, if you think about it, it's almost like, you know, that's not the way that I pictured it happening in my head. I thought it going this way, and all of a sudden God just, just does something radically different. He does a 180, does something completely different. Saul the king was not anticipating prophesying. The only thing he was anticipating is a dead David. Saul of Tarsus was not anticipating walking in blind and needing someone by the name of Ananias to lay hands on him that he could receive his sight. He was anticipating coming in as this conquering man, zealous for his faith and wiping out the Christians, those who are of the way. So I want you to see here that that, that so often that, that God can... Simply speak his will to your life and you get a choice to listen or not. And he's going to reveal those things. But there are times that God will sovereignly, sovereignly not give you a choice. You don't get to have a choice. See, like when he told Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to offer him to me. He did that willingly. And and, and God says, this is great. Abraham, you're, you're a friend of God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your son. I'm going to bless your descendants. This is because of your faithfulness. And so we see that there are times God can speak a word, but there's also times that God is going to sovereignly just do what he's going to do. And you don't have much of an option. Do you realize that Jesus' mother, Mary, didn't have much of an option? (laughs) It's like God just said, hey, I'm going to send an angel. And guess what? Uh, Surprise! Uh, You're going to have a child when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Oh, he's going to be mine. He's going to save the world from their sins. And 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 he's going to die, and when he's die, your 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 heart's going to be just just cut. It's going to be cut. And she didn't have a choice. You understand? God will sovereignly do things that He needs to do to accomplish His will and purposes. And this is what He does. He needs to through this working of the the transformation of Saul. He has to do a couple of things. One of the things He does is this: He changes Saul's heart once again. For just this moment it's not like Saul receives the spirit for another whole issue because he's going to be king again no God's already stripped him of that so in his calling it's gone but for a purpose and understand that God is going to use his spirit to show Saul a reminder of what was remember back in chapter 10 when I called you remember back in chapter 10 when I equipped you Remember back in chapter 10 where you were pure and open and and ready to do anything when I want you were little in your own eyes and and I came upon you and you prophesied, you spoke and you worship. This is what I'm going to do again. As he starts coming, he's like, oh yeah, remember that. Isn't that how neat how sometimes God will take us as Christians and he'll take us back into those moments of our walk. Say, remember when I was this in your life? Remember when I was that in your life? Remember when I first saved you, how you wanted to say everything you want of my life, Lord, is yours. And then you started taking things back gradually. A little bit here, a little bit there. And that's where you were. But now all of a sudden we see that God through his grace begins to so beautifully move and remind Saul of who he used to be, who God used to be in his life. And so as the spirit comes upon him, he's reminded of what's there is the same way as what? King Saul is now reminded that what? God is in control. And he's also reminded what? God has a plan. Not only is God in control, but God does have a plan and God does want to do a work. And that's exactly here what happens in Acts 9. That that Saul recognizes God is in control. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Is it hard for you to keep against the goat? You keep fighting against my will. You keep fighting against my work. And and you fight against those who are mine, my children, my church. And eventually what happens is this, that that while he is there, Ananias comes and does something amazing. In Acts chapter 9, the the, the Lord comes. in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, for this is a chosen vessel of mine. So he says, Ananias, go to him. He's going to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, what's interesting is this. I think that when Ananias hears that, that first verse, verse 15, where he says, he's a chosen vessel of mine. See, if I was Ananias, this is me, of course, projecting. But if I, don't, I was Ananias, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't, I don't think, I know, I know he may be a chosen vessel. I just don't think it's a good idea. I don't want to do it yet. But then when, when God says in verse thing, I will show him how many things he must suffer for. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to on that one now. Let, let him get his just desserts. I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant in verse 15, but verse 16, I like. You know, I want to say, listen, Saul, God's going to make you suffer, man. I'm okay with that. Why? Well, God has to do work in Ananias too. But what happens is this. He goes his way and, and he makes this statement at the end of verse 17. He says this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. And then verse 20, immediately he preaches Christ. I love what Ananias does. He simply says, listen, I want you to receive your sight. But he says this. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is going to transform you, Saul. And so much so does he transform him that that we don't know him in the New Testament as Saul. We know him in the New Testament as the Apostle Paul. This is the one who wrote to the churches. This is the one who went and proclaimed the gospel. This is the one who, who many of the books of the New Testament were written by. And absolutely incredible. I just think it's so important that what we see is this, as the the spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul to oppose him. It came upon King Saul to oppose him. It comes upon Saul of Tarsus to oppose him. And many times God will allow his spirit to come upon you and I to oppose us in, in what we desire to do. Simply say, listen, I, I have a plan and you're not you're not going in the right direction. I have to humble you. I have to oppose you. I'm gonna allow my spirit to come and bring a conviction to your heart. I'm gonna allow him to put troubling thoughts in your mind. I'm gonna cause you to come closer and closer to me that you can experience me, experience my will, and finally hear. You're you're drifting away and not hearing. And so I think it's so important that the, the Spirit comes upon Saul to show him the life that he can have if he surrenders back to God. This is amazing that all of a sudden here King Saul says, oh, I remember this life. If I surrender to you, I can have this life. But you know what happens? He doesn't surrender. He, he can see it. He can experience. He's already experienced once, but he's rejected. And he's, he's still so set in his ways that he will not do what God calls him to do. Amazingly, the same ha- thing happened to Saul of Tarsus, where God says, listen, receive your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes, and immediately as he does, he begins to, he's baptized, and he begins to preach, he's he's growing in strength, he's growing and increasing in strength as the Spirit comes upon him, as the Spirit instructs him, as the Spirit guides him. So keep in mind that here, the, the Spirit will come upon Saul. And as he comes upon King Saul, first of all, he prophesies all the way from where he is at the well, as he prophesies all the way going to Naoth and Ramah. And as he he does that, then he comes to where Saul and his warriors are prophesying or having that worship service. And what happens is this. The Spirit of God comes upon King Saul and he strips. He strips himself of his kingly garments. God humbles Saul. But understand what he's saying is this ability to come near to God, you have to humble yourself. This ability to come and experience God, you have to empty you of yourself. See, God can't fill you when you're full of you. You empty you, you let him fill you. This is where the work of God comes. And as God does that work so beautifully, so intimately, we see that he strips himself down. He strips himself of the clothes and he's lying there naked. Now, the word naked can simply mean naked. It does in many senses. But it can also mean that you strip yourself of your outer garments and you just simply have your undergarments. And so as a man among the prophets, I could see that happening. I just don't know how brutally God was going to humble this king. But understand that he humbles him enough where he takes off his kingly robes, he takes off his kingly garments. Everything that is an identifier of him as a king, he strips it off and he becomes what? nothing but when he becomes nothing absolutely he becomes everything because now the spirit of god comes upon him the spirit of god is using him in this place of worship and prophesying this is now what when i empty me of me god now does him and so much so that now he's reckoned i goes. saul also among the prophets now keep in mind as he has saul here This is important to note that what it says is this, in verse 24, he also stripped off his clothes and he prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and that night. I want you to realize what happens. God gets a hold of Saul and he humbles him through his spirit. And as God humbles him through his spirit, what God begins to do is this. He causes Saul to stay in that place. He's there before Samuel. Now, Samuel said, listen, I'm never going to come to you again. And Saul says, well, I'll come to you this time. And so, you know, the, 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 the word is still true. Samuel hasn't lied. But what happens is this, that as God keeps Saul humbled, laying down before Samuel, guess what David gets to do? He gets the day and the night to get away. God uses this as an instrument to save his children, to save David. And, and a lot of times, this is what God is going to do in, in the way that he transforms and he alters. He says, listen, Saul, you came to kill him. <laughs> I'm going to incapacitate you until what? Until David is free. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 9? Saul of Tarsus. We see the same thing begin to happen. God says, listen, Saul, I'm going to make you blind. And you're going to be there three days and you're going to be lying down. You're going to be praying. You're going to be seeking me and fasting. And, and guess what? By the time you receive your sight, you're going to have a new heart. You're going to have a new heart. And then with this heart, I will have saved my children. I will have saved those who are the way. I will have saved where I no longer will you be those who persecute me. You will be that one who exalts me. You will be that one who glorifies me. And this is so important to recognize what begins to happen. Now, as we come to this area and we see that here, Saul is prophesying recognize that there's uh, times where God is going to allow those who may not be in the right mind to still say something that's right. The high priest, he wanted to kill Jesus. And he says, you guys know nothing. Don't you know that it is more profitable for one man to die than the nation? And the Holy Spirit comes in. This he said because he was the high priest, but not because he was a good high priest, because it was right. He was saying that Jesus needed to die so the nation could be made right with God. And the reality is what? But not only him, but the whole world. He died so that any who would receive Jesus' work, his death on the cross, his burial, the payment for my sins, that we could now have eternal life. This is God's work. And I think it's so important that he would allow the high priest to prophesy. Not because he was a good high priest, but because what? God needed the word proclaimed. And and it comes to this point where we say, yeah, you know, we recognize that we can prophesy, we can do those things, but it's not always beneficial. There's a passage, if you guys are familiar with it, just jot it down. Don't turn there, but I do want you to jot it down because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, Paul makes this statement in, in verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, though I can, prophes- I can prophesy, though I have the gift of prophecy, understanding all mysteries, And knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Do you understand? So so we we can declare the right thing. We can declare those things, but without love, without God transforming our hearts, what is that? It's simply a gift. It's God coming upon us for a moment, coming upon us for a ministry, coming upon us for uh, just an instance, but it's not the calling. And this is what I love. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. What is our calling? Oh, we are children of God. We are eternally his. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to equip us so that what the Holy Spirit is going to do is, is he's going to transform you and me in the same way as the Holy Spirit would, would transform Saul, the king, and say, you're going to go from this murderous man into a man who simply worships me. For this moment, you're going to go back to be a murderous man if you want. I'll, I'll grant you that, but I'm going to show you what you can be with me. Now, with, with, with Saul of Tarsus, absolutely the opposite thing happened. He says, I'm going to show you who you can be with me. And he stays there, not like the king. He doesn't go back to the murderous. Now he says, listen... I know who you are, Lord. I know that you are the Christ. And I'm going to do everything I can to to, to declare to this lost and dying world that they can have life in you. This is so beautiful when you see the reality of what happens. And so the the Holy Spirit wants to truly transform us. There's a couple of passages. I want you to just jot them down as we go through this because I think it's important for us to recognize as Christians What is the power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? The first passage that I want to read to you, and I'm going to go through just a couple of them, because I want you to at least, for your notes, have an understanding that you can go back at this and just understanding, oh yeah, this is the power, this is the power, this transformed me, this transformed me. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he makes a statement, Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, So don't be conformed to the world, he said, but be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not what you used to think is what God declares is true, not what you thought was true, not what you believe to be true, not what you want to be true, but simply what God declares to be true. You look to his word and that you can prove what is good. You can prove what is acceptable. You can prove what is that perfect will of God. You understand, not my will, not my plans, but his will, his plans. And this is so beautiful when we see this is that transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It makes this declaration, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely amazing that he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, that here God can fill you with this Holy Spirit with joy, with peace, with faith, and with hope. The the, the constant, whether I see it or not, I know that all things work together for good. Whether I'm experiencing this blessing or not now, I know that in time, God is going to turn things around. This is who he is. I love the fact that although we're not in a church building right now, that there is going to be a time that that church building that is all torn apart is going to be made new. We'll be able to come back in there and worship and honor God and celebrate. God, look at what you've done. You've made it all new, and this is who you are. This is how you work. And so I love the fact that here there's this hope, but all these things come at the end of Romans 15, verse 13, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God does. This is how he works. And so keep in mind that when it comes to the power of God and in how God manifests and how God works, that one of the things that he wants to do is this. In the will of God, he wants your life to be a witness of him. But you can't be that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the things is you're going to transform the inside. You. You're also going to transform what in your mind and what you want to declare. Because the scripture says this from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus is going to be so filling your heart that you can't wait to declare who he is and what he is and and, and, and the life that he has. And so it's just so beautiful to recognize, God, this is you. This is your work. This is your life. And so In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says this statement, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it's important to recognize what happens here is that the spirit of God is going to come and the spirit of God is gonna move. And I think it's so important to recognize the spirit of God is gonna cause you to be a witness. As the Spirit of God causes you to be a witness, we're going to simply declare him and worship him. The next thing that I want you to understand is this. The Holy Spirit, as we recognize, is going to give you power. Uh, It says you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is like a dunamis power. It's like a dynamite power, something that is explosive. It's something that's not a part of you, but it's a part of God. And, And so what happens is this. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to understand He gives us the power to experience his peace. He gives us the power to understand his word. And and, and it's a radical thing that what we begin to see, that there is a passage in the Gospel of John, and I just simply want to read two passages to you. I want to start in John chapter 14, and it simply makes this statement. There in, in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, he says, And whatever you ask in my name I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he says this, and I will pray the father. This is you are now my disciple. I'm going to pray the father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love it. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do is the Holy Spirit is going to meet. He's going to minister. And he's going to fulfill in you the things that that I need. In John 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage to go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Absolutely amazing. The Holy Spirit gives us a power to understand and experience peace. He gives us the power to understand his word. And I love the fact that he's going to take what is mine and he's going to declare it to you. He's going to get you to understand. The, the, the carnal man can't understand the things of the spiritual. We can look at the scripture and we illuminate and see a spiritual power behind it. This word becomes the power for us to walk. This word becomes the power for us to surrender. This word becomes the power for us to trust. And, and so he, he he reveals in us and, and through us, say, yeah, this is his word. This is what he's going to do. And he's going to guide us into all truth. He's the helper. He comes alongside the comfort. He comes alongside to direct. And I'm going to trust his leading. I'm going to trust what he does. And so he gives us the power to what? He gives us the power to love. He gives us the power to forgive. Do you think that you can simply love? And it's so amazing that we recognize it's not me who's loving. It's God who loves through me. I can't do this of myself. And yet he also gives me the power to what? To forgive. Oh, no, they don't deserve forgiveness. (laughs) Neither did I. You know how many people thought that I should be fodder for hell? But I'll tell you what, I had people praying for me. I had people praying for me, say, you know, God, (laughs) he, like me, didn't deserve it. But, But you love him. I know you love him and allow your spirit to transform him, open his eyes, open his heart. And God did that to me. He opened my eyes and opened my heart and allowed me to see him. And I was able to receive him. And now I'm going to be forever in heaven. But guess what? I'm not who I used to be. Not yet who I want to be, I'm not fully there yet, but I'm I'm not who I used to be. And God is is now being glorified through this. And so He gives us the power to love, He gives us the power to forgive. It's one of those things when when, when someone has you know has done something, you know, oh, that's, that's not forgivable. God said, wait a second. Uh, let's see what's not forgivable. What have I forgiven you of? And you and I would say, everything. What haven't I forgiven you of? Nothing. So that if I, as God, have forgiven you, what have I forgiven them of? And you say, well, everything. What haven't I forgiven them of? Nothing. So if he's forgiven me of everything and, and not forgot anything, if He's forgiven them of everything and not forgotten anything, how can I now hold something to their account? How can I put something back on their account that God has forgiven? Do You understand? And so I look to this and say, it's so easy to forgive. Why? Because that's not me who has to forgive. It's God. Now, now I, I'll go to God and I'll ask God, where do you want my life? How do you want me to work this? But I know that what? You've called me to forgive. You call me, regardless of what that is, I know that I can forgive. But I can only forgive what? Not because I will it. Not because, like, oh, I'm just going to forgive it. No, you, you and I forgive. Why? Because it's truly in our hearts. And, and it's uh, not a normal thing of our heart. Now, see, we can simply forgive in our mind and say, hey, I'm going to forgive this person. But then what happens is God takes us a little deeper and say, yeah, there, there's still a animosity. There's still some bitterness. There's still some frustration. Are you going to let that go too? No, no, I'll hold on to. <laughs> why would you hold on to that? I, I've forgiven them. And, 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 and I paid for that sin. I paid for your sin. And, and, and so why would you take someone who owes you so little when I've given you everything? I've forgiven you everything. Why would you hold something to someone else's count? If I've forgiven you, you need to forgive also from your heart. And and we realize the only way I can forgive from my heart is what? When the Holy Spirit changes my heart, transforms my heart, and moves my heart so that I want to forgive. This is where it all comes down to. And so it's just an amazing thing that what we begin to recognize is, Spirit, you are the counselor. You're going to guide me in the truth. You're going to speak to my heart what I need to do. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit will do this. Here's a portion of scripture, you know it well, jot it down. And it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. When I said it, you guys already know where I'm going. You know the address, you know the passage. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. You have to understand, Now there's going to be a list that comes here, but the fruit is love. And that from that love comes joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. It's amazing that he says there's going to be a love that comes from my spirit. There's going to be a joy that comes from my spirit. There's going to be a peace that comes from my spirit. There's a long suffering that I'm not going to just keep anger in my heart. There's going to be a kindness. You understand? Kindness is, is, is in, in our, our day and age, it's a rare thing. Just for someone to be kind. And when they are kind, you're like, where are you from? Why are you kind? Who are you? And, 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 so, and then it's, it's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. Do you understand? The word of the Spirit is not harshness. It's not bitterness. It's not acting out. It's 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 truly to say the work of the Spirit. What I'm going to do is gentleness. It's self-control. Not losing control. It's it's not it's not you know blurting something out. It's staying in control. Why, Spirit? You guide me. You lead me. What is your heart? And so when I react, I want to react according to your leading, not according to my own. And it's just such a beautiful thing that after he says, listen, you, you have the self-control. And he says, again, such, there's no law. There's no law when it comes to that. And I think it's important to say, Lord, I now understand. I understand what you mean by the Holy Spirit, how you want to transform me. I want to close with this as we look to just, just what Saul and the transformation of the Holy Spirit in his life. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. And I want to read to you verses 16 through 18. These three verses are important because in verse 16, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said this, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You want your eyes open? Oh, draw near to God. Oh, dear saint, draw near to God. And so the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, guess what? There's liberty. It's not I have to do this and I have to do this. No, I just want to be with God. And whatever he has for me today, that's what I want in my life. Lord, you lead me. You guide me. And I love the fact that that's what this is. And where the spirit of the Lord is their liberty, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. You understand that the spirit comes, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, what he means by this is, is, is a dual thing. One, there's an inward glory, and two, there's an outward glory. And what happens is that you and I are being transformed into this same image. Do you understand what the Spirit is doing? He's making you more like Jesus. He's making me more like Jesus. He's making us more like Jesus. He's making others more like Jesus. But do you understand that transforming work doesn't come in an instant? I don't know about you, but when you've had a sin that you've had for a long, long time, some sins God can simply take it away through his power, and it's just gone, never to be seen of again. And you're worshiping, God, you're so good. You can just take sin away. It's amazing who you are. But then there's other sin like, why isn't that one gone? <laughs> I, you could have left the other one. I would have struggled with that one. But this one, I don't want. Just, just take it away. Take it, And he leaves it. So why are not you taking this away? He says, I haven't taken it away, but I've given you your, my spirit. And you can choose to give it to me every day. You can choose to yield to me every day. You can choose to say, I love you more than I love this every day. It's absolutely amazing how God will, through his grace and through his power, just take certain things. When I came to know the Lord, he simply took cigarettes away from me instantly. Just I never smoked again. It was just gone. No, no desire, no craving, no anything. It was just gone. Praise God for that. But he didn't take my anger away. I wish he would have taken the anger when left the cigarettes, but but he didn't he left that anger in my heart and I just struggled and struggled and 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 now amazingly, years later, he dealt with it so much that no longer is it an outward manifestation got abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks and and that was me it was it was just just nasty, but more and more as he filled my heart, that stopped. but then I realized this the thing that stopped was the upper part of the iceberg. The thing that he's still working on is the bottom part of the iceberg. Make no mistake, I still have anger. I have anger issues, and I will probably always have anger issues until he gives me a new body in heaven. No one will ever see it. I know how deep it goes. God knows how deep it goes, and I have to yield to him and cling to him and so when people say, wow, you're so kind, you're so loving, like that's because you only see the surface. <laughs> you're only looking at the outward man. God sees the heart. He knows how deep this goes, the sin goes, and I have to surrender it every single day because if I don't, it's going to come up and it's going to come up and it's going to look ugly on me. And I realize the ugliness of what he did. And so I love the fact that he transforms us from glory to glory, that there's there's this 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 inner Glory that is being changed, this inner thing where now I have more and more the 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 love of God and the heart of God and the the moving of God and that's just beautiful things that that here's what God has done and here's what God is doing that I love. But eventually the glory comes. What it comes not just the inward, but there's a passage we go from glory to glory, an inward glory to an outward manifestation. It says this in Matthew chapter thirteen, verse forty three. He says, "Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun." In the kingdom of the Father, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's going to be this this transformation of my physical to match what God has done in my spirit. And I can't wait for that to happen, that, that we are going to be in heaven. We're going to be shining, shining like the sun, shining in His glory, His glory manifesting us. And I think this is what's so important. But do you understand that that shining is not what we... How many of you could go, oh, I'm going to shine. It doesn't happen. But the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen people who, who you know are walking in the Spirit? And you go, wow, there is a glow about you. You don't even have to be pregnant. And then you can have the, this Holy Spirit glow about you. You know, there's a pregnancy glow, but then there's a Holy Spirit glow. And that's amazing that you see a beauty in someone. And not because of the outward. You see the beauty because this is the Holy Spirit. And this is the transformation that God wants. So I, I think it's so important for you and I to recognize that, that God has given us his Holy Spirit inside us. And that spirit is going to for the calling of being his children is forever and, and yield to it, yield to it. And then let him do what he does. If you think I'm going to do my own thing. Just keep in mind, God can radically alter any of your plans, <laughs> says you're going to go in a whole new direction. I've got something different for you. And when he does. The reason that he alters is because there's a transformation he wants. He wants us to come more and more to the image of the Lord. And I think, yeah, do that in my life. Do that in my heart. Amen? Amen. Father, we're so grateful for you and your word and your heart and to see what you do and how you do it. We're asking, Lord, that that through this, we would recognize who you are and and, and recognize, Lord, how you move. And to know that, 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 Lord, so often in us, there is a desperation to do our will. There is a desperation to say, I want I want my will accomplished. I'm going to do this. And I don't, I don't want you to get in the way, Lord. Just let it happen. And yet there's an alteration, an alteration of our plans, according to your knowledge, according to your will, according to your goodness, according to your grace. You change things, you move things. And then, of course, the transformation as we yield to what it is you're doing in our lives. Help us, Lord, to accept what you're doing, Lord. And to tap into that power, the power to be witnesses, the power to be counseled, the power to be transformed into the image of your son. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.